everybody has questions. Well, other people do. Obviously not you. Questions like, Hey, Jesus, can I be a Christian and still have doubts? Uh, asking for a friend. This one's a bit of a two-parter. Is the Bible reliable? Isn't it full of errors? Why do people make such a big deal about baptism? If God really cared, then why would he allow that? Aren't all religions basically the same? Okay, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the what? Clearly these aren't your questions. And even if they were, you were just asking for a friend. Well, good morning, South Hills. I hope you guys are having a, a great Sunday so far. Uh, I am excited to be with you guys. I'm excited for today. We're starting a brand new series called Asking for a Friend, as you may have seen in that silly little video. Uh, but uh, I'm excited to jump into this today. Um, and really, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some of these things that maybe we've had questions about. Maybe we know people that have had questions about uh, these topics. Um, uh, you know, these things that we, we want to look at are things that have to do with Christianity, that have to do with our faith. Some of these things are uh, maybe phrases or ideas that you've heard us talk about before and, and you've never totally understood what exactly that means. And so we want to talk about this. So this is a great series, not only for you and for me, uh, because even as I'm preparing and reading and studying each week, I'm reminding myself uh, and I am relearning uh, what some of these topics mean for me as I am a Christian and, and what does it mean for me to follow Jesus. So it's, it's great for those of us that are Christians. It's also great for anyone that is kind of on the fence, people that aren't sure what they believe or maybe they haven't necessarily committed their life to following Jesus because they have questions. Um, you know people like that. I know people like that. And so it's a great time to be able to be a part of South Hills. You get to join from the comfort of your own home. Uh, hopefully you guys are having breakfast and coffee or tea or whatever it is that gets you going in the morning. Um, and we get to invite other people to be a part of this. One of the easiest ways that you can invite someone to church now, uh, it could not have been any more easy any time in the past ever. Um, if you are watching on something like Facebook, you can actually just share the video feed on your Facebook timeline. And I've done that for the last few weeks, and it's been so cool to actually see 10, 15 friends of mine um, from around the country logging on to watch because I shared the feed on my Facebook. Uh, and so I would encourage you guys, invite people to church. It's never been easier than it is right now. Um, but uh, have you ever had the experience um, where you wanted to ask a question, but you were a little bit nervous because you felt like it might be kind of a, a silly question? Uh, like people would judge you for that question. Um, you didn't know if the question would maybe even be offensive, if it was allowed. Um, there's these, this reality that we have where we've all kind of had these, these moments. I remember, um, you know, when I was younger, I, I've got uh, three siblings. I've got an older sister, an older brother, and then a younger brother. And, um, you know, one of the movies that we watched all the time, it did not matter what time of year it was, uh, we could not get enough of this movie. It was Home Alone. I don't know if you guys, I'm sure most of you have seen it. If not, then, you know, 
just log off the internet. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but Home Alone, we would watch it kind of all year round. It was a Christmas movie, but as a kid, as a boy, just the pranks, the idea of like being able to overpower, um, you know, uh, the wet bandits with your micro machines and, and your, you know, eight-year-old ingenuity was just like the greatest thing. So uh, actually, I would love to know for you guys, because I like to go back through and read these chat uh, windows. Is there a movie that when you were a kid, what is the movie that you would watch repeatedly? It would be on repeat. It didn't matter how many times you'd seen it, you would still watch it again because there was something about that movie that you just thought was fantastic or hilarious or it transported you. So you can drop that in the chat window. Uh, I'm excited to go watch um, these chats later on. But um, there's this line in Home Alone. It was for sure one of our favorite parts. Uh, and if you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it's when uh, <clears throat> Harry and uh, the Wet Bandits are coming. They're trying to break into uh, the house, Kevin's house. And he plays this old gangster movie at a super high volume to scare them away. And this gangster movie, we just thought it was like the funniest thing in the world because it's got like these, it's black and white movie and it's got this gangster uh, in it and he was threatening this other guy and he would say this, he said, I'm gonna give you to the count of 10 to get your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. Now, yes, uh, it's a totally appropriate movie for young children to watch. Uh, but uh, but this, this line, we thought it was so funny. And my brothers and I, we would always, I mean, we played everything outside. We were always running around. And there was, you know, always some sort of battle or challenge or whatever it was. And so we quoted this line all the time. But we didn't actually know what the word keister meant. Um, we knew that it wasn't a kind word because of the context that we heard it in. But we didn't know if it was a bad word. We didn't know if it was a cuss word. We didn't know if it was the kind of word that we would get in trouble for saying. And so when we were outside playing by ourselves, we would say it and giggle and snicker like little kids do because it's a funny line. And also we thought we were kind of getting away from with something. Uh, and then one day, inevitably, my brothers uh, and I were talking and, and we were trying to figure out what the word keister meant. And we decided that somebody needed to go in and ask our parents. And we had to be the bold one and figure out, okay, I'm going to say this word out loud to ask if it's an okay word to say, because I don't want to say bad words. Uh, and so I drew the short straw, and I was terrified, because, you know, like growing up in a Christian home, my dad was a pastor, uh, you, you just didn't want to say bad words in front of your parents. And so I was terrified. I, walk, I remember walking into the living room, and I felt so embarrassed and so scared and so silly to even ask this question. Like, man, I should know what, you know, whether I can say this word or not. And I remember just being nervous, and mom, uh, dad, I... I've got a question, you know, and I can only imagine, now as a parent, I can only imagine the terror that they must have been thinking, like, oh my gosh, what's he going to say? What happened? You know, what did he do? I just remember saying, um, is keister a bad word? And uh, I barely could get it out of my mouth before they just could not stop laughing hysterically at the terror that I felt for asking this question. And uh, I think about that a lot. Every single year we watch Home Alone now just at Christmas time. And every time I see that movie, that clip, I think about that experience. And I bet we have all had these moments in our lives where we have felt absolutely ridiculous for the questions that we have. Uh, we felt like maybe people would mock us, maybe we would offend somebody, maybe it was not okay that we didn't know the answer to those questions. 
That's what this entire series is about. Uh, you know, we're playing off this silly phrase, you know, I'm asking for a friend because we don't necessarily want to take the credit for the questions that we have. But, but this reality is we want to help address some of these questions that you may have, but that you aren't always comfortable asking. Uh, you're not necessarily sure how to get an answer. Maybe people that you know have these questions and you've not known how to answer those questions for them. Uh, and so I'm so excited to jump into this. Um, and, uh, You know, we all have questions, whether you're young or old, uh, whether you are still in school, maybe you're an executive in your field, in your career. It doesn't really matter what stage of life you're at. We always have questions about something. There's always an element of unknown. Uh, And uh, beyond the questions that we have in general, every one of us is in a relationship. And in every relationship that we have, there are also questions. There's also uh, things that we are wondering. There are times that we doubt. There's things that we wrestle with the nature of these relationships. Can you imagine uh, if your friend or maybe even your spouse said to you this phrase, if you love me, you will never ask me another question again. Now, I get we're two months into quarantine, and so maybe you have thought about saying that phrase before. But can you, I mean, can you imagine if your spouse said, if you ever ask me a question, If you ever communicate that you are unsure, if you ever communicate a doubt, it will be the end of our relationship. It will hurt our relationship. Can you imagine if your kids had questions or fears or doubts and you said to your kid, it offends me that you would ask me that question? Now, again, I recognize that right now our kids are asking us questions nonstop and it can be exhausting. But we don't actually want them to be afraid of asking us questions. We don't actually want them to be nervous about communicating that they don't know something to us because we love them, we care about them, and we wanna reassure them that they are safe, that we're gonna take care of them, that we love them. Even in the times when we, you know, the, the relationship is difficult and there's tension happening or whatever it is, we want them to feel a sense of safety and knowing, man, you can be honest with me. The same is true of our relationship with God. God wants us to know that we can be honest with him. God wants us to know that we can ask questions, that we can share our doubts, that we can communicate our frustration and and our disappointments because he is our heavenly father. And so as we jump into this, I think it's so important for us to know that that how we wrestle with our our faith and our doubts and our questions, how we wrestle is so important. Uh, But more important than how we wrestle is that we wrestle. There are good ways and there are healthy ways to wrestle with your questions and, and with your doubts and your fears and, and all of these things. There's, there's good and healthy ways to do that, uh, but it's even more important just that you do that. Because if you don't take that step to ask the questions, to wrestle with these difficult things that, that you're having a hard time understanding, if you don't take the step, it doesn't matter whether you do it wrong or right if you never take the step to do it in the first place. And what is so important for you to know and what I want everybody to hold on to today is that you are not the only one that has had doubts and questions and fears around the topic of faith and Christianity. You are not the only one that has wondered that thing that you are wondering that like nine or 10 year old Chris was too embarrassed to go in and ask his parents. Everybody else has had questions and doubts and fears and wrestled with things. You are not the only one and it does not make you bad or wrong because you have those. It's so important for us to know that. We are learning 
and growing and navigating an ever-changing world. And it's never been more clear than it is right now. And so whether you are a Jesus follower that has questions, whether you are a person that is not sure if you can put your trust in Jesus because you have questions, we are all on a level playing field here because what we're gonna talk about today is that it is not only okay, but it's good to be able to wrestle with questions and doubts when it comes to the idea of our faith. All throughout the Bible, there's examples of people that wrestled with questions. Abraham doubted God's promises about uh, whether or not he would have kids. And, um, you know, he pushed back. Ultimately, God said that uh, he was going to have children, and Abraham and his wife could not believe it. They absolutely doubted it. Moses argues with God about some of the decisions that God made. Uh, Job accuses God of being unfair. David accuses God of abandoning him. Jeremiah, who was a prophet, Jeremiah questioned God's goodness. Uh, And he was somebody that God chose to speak for him on his behalf. And and he questioned if God was good or not. In the New Testament, John the Baptist questioned if Jesus really was God. Uh, Jesus's mom argued with Jesus and put him in a really awkward spot where he kind of was forced into doing a miracle. All of the disciples doubted the resurrection, whether it would actually happen. And, and Thomas, who we famously call Doubting Thomas, you know, Jesus was standing in front of him and Thomas said he still wouldn't believe until he could see and touch the holes in his hand from where he was crucified. All throughout the scriptures, all throughout the Bible, all throughout the history of our faith, we see people that we look up to and that we respect and that we can learn from and they all had questions and doubts and they wrestled, and they argued, and they didn't understand, and they communicated that openly with God. We can too. I think my favorite example of this is in the story of Jacob. Jacob is considered one of the fathers of the Hebrew faith. Uh, He was kind of a shady guy. He was always trying to get ahead. He wasn't very honest. Um, And uh, but yet, that's kind of you know one of uh, you know the the heroes or one of the fathers of the faith. In Genesis chapter thirty-two, this is uh, a translation called the Voice, the Voice translation of the Bible. Uh, There's a passage where where Jacob is afraid for his life. He's afraid that his brother is going to kill him. Uh, We all have some family drama in our lives, Uh, and it jumps in in verse 24, it says this, Jacob stayed behind, left alone in his distress and doubt. That's an important line there, left alone in distress and doubt. In the twilight of his anguish, an unknown man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw he was not winning the battle with Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was thrown out of the joint as he continued to wrestle with him. Verse 26, it says, man, the man said, let me go, the dawn is breaking. Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man said, what is your name? Jacob replied, Jacob. The man said, you will no longer go by the name Jacob. From now on, your name will be Israel because you have wrestled with God and humanity and you have prevailed. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. And the man said, why do you ask what my name is? Right then and there, the man blessed Jacob. So Jacob called the place Peniel because he said, I have come face to face with God, and yet my life was spared. The sun began to rise as Jacob passed by uh, Peniel limping because of his dislocated hip. 
So this is an interesting story, and, and it goes on. It's actually part of this really big story. The story of Jacob is a, a really crazy one. But as we look at this story, there's a few things I just kind of want to point out here because it's important for us to know as we talk about this idea of can I follow Jesus, can I be a Christian and still have doubts? Can I still have questions? Can I still wrestle with things that I don't understand or maybe even don't always agree with? Is that okay? And so as we look at the story of Jacob, there's some things in here that I think are important for us to see. The first thing is that Jacob, uh, the name Jacob, actually means deceiver. So this man's name really fit who he was in life. He was a deceiver. He was always tricking and lying and trying to figure out how to kind of prop himself up as something that he wasn't. And I think in some ways, when it comes to questions of faith and doubts, I think oftentimes, especially in the church, if you've grown up in the church, a lot of times people show up to church when we get to come to a building. Um, you show up at church and you kind of want to prop yourself up as having it all together, as having it all figured out, as, man, my week's been great. I've got no concerns. Uh, my family life is wonderful. Uh, I've never doubted God once in my life. We kind of prop ourselves up, and I think we, we kind of resonate with this idea of Jacob's name meaning deceiver, pretending, living a fake reality. But it says that God changed his name to Israel, which means to wrestle with God. So it doesn't go from his name being deceiver to his name being has all the answers. It goes from deceiver to wrestles with God. God renamed him as someone that is willing to wrestle with God about the questions and the doubts and the fears that he had. He's not trying to be inauthentic. He's not trying to lie. He's not trying to deceive people, but he wrestled with God in that moment. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't always easy for him in this moment, the, this wrestling match, it wasn't easy. It says that he walked away with a limp because his hip was pulled out of its socket. And I, I think for many of us, as we've wrestled with our faith and maybe you were a part of church for a long time and you walked away or you were hurt in some way and, and as you re-enter into a church community, maybe it's a different church or a different reality, you re-enter. But I think some of us are still limping a little bit because we've, we've wrestled with some difficult and painful things. It's changed us. Uh, we have learned and we have grown, but we are different because we had the ability to wrestle with those things. And then the last thing that I want to look at, you know, this man's name was Jacob, and it says that God changed his name to Israel. Now, you have heard this name Israel before in a number of different ways because ultimately God named his children, his people, the Jewish people, he called them Israel. So it was not only Jacob's name, but then God's children ultimately, were named after this person that wrestled with God. God's children were named after a man who wrestled with authenticity. This man who wrestled with questions and doubts and frustrations. This man who was far from perfect. He was hiding because he thought he might be killed for what he had done. He, is, he was far from perfect, far from having all the answers. But he wrestled with authenticity. He wrestled with God. And he says that he wouldn't let this man go until he had an answer. And I think for us, it's so important to note that that was so valuable to God that he didn't only change Jacob's name, but he changed his children's name to Israel, that they would wrestle with him. The basis, the history of our own faith is rooted in this reality of, of wrestling with God. 
it's sad because I think a common belief for many people is that faith is kind of the, the antithesis of doubt. If you have faith, it means that you have little doubt. More faith equals less doubt, and if you have more doubt, then you have less faith, and it's kind of, we, we've always viewed it as this kind of, uh, this level kind of uh, playing ground of it has to kind of balance out some way, but that's not the reality of faith or how it works, this false understanding that your faith is only as strong as it is free of doubt, that's not what we see in the Bible. If we embrace this kind of understanding of faith, that we can only have faith if we don't have doubt, or if we can only have more faith if we have less doubt, if we embrace that understanding of faith, then ultimately we will always struggle to be honest about our questions and our fears and our mistakes and our doubts, the things that are difficult, frustrating, maybe even angering about what we see around us. If we believe that our faith can only be as strong as we don't have doubts and we're never going to be honest and admit about the doubts and the questions that we have, biblical faith is not psychological certainty. Biblical faith, the the type of faith that we see in the scriptures, the type of faith that it seems like God honors, it has nothing to do with being mentally certain, of having all of the answers, of being 100% certain psychologically of something. That's not what biblical faith looks like. All throughout the scripture, people's uh, relationship with God, uh, it was very different than this. The modern psychological concept of faith motivates people to cling to a feeling of certainty. This idea, the way that we understand faith feels like, we, man, I have to be absolutely certain. I have to have no doubts and no questions and no fears in order to have faith. But the biblical concept of faith is about retaining trust in God in the face of uncertainty. It's retaining trust in your relationship with God even when things feel uncertain. Even when there are questions, even when there are doubts, it's saying, man, I don't understand this. I don't know if this is really you. I don't know if this is really the way things are supposed to be, but I'm going to hold on to trust and have these questions at the same time. It's the same thing that we do in our our human relationships or that we try to do is when we don't understand why someone did something that hurt us or betrayed us, it's we go, we talk to them about it because I I trust that it's not what you intended to do. I trust that that you want to work through this even though I'm uncertain, I'm unsure of why this happened. Faith is about retaining trust in the face of uncertainty. One theologian named Greg Boyd, he said it this way. He said that the essence of faith in Scripture is not about blind submission to authoritative traditions or the quest for psychological certainty. So just to pause there, he's saying it's not about just saying whatever the Bible teachers have said, I will absolutely believe and I will never have questions or doubts at all. That's not what faith is. He says, it is rather an Israelite faith, again, there's that name, Israel, in which the depth of a person's faith in God is sometimes reflected precisely in their willingness to authentically wrestle with him. Sometimes it's reflected in our willingness to authentically wrestle with him. In other words, your faith isn't strong if it can't be questioned. Your faith isn't strong if it can't be questioned. 
Now, for some people, this may be a really difficult thing to process and a really difficult thing to accept. Some people are wired in such a way that, that they feel like, you know, they have to be right all the time, and, and they, they, we can become uncomfortable when we have to wrestle with things that we're unsure about, and it can be a scary thing. And, and again, Jacob walked away limping after he wrestled with God. But the reality is, is that if our faith can't be questioned, what kind of fear, what kind of terror must we have to be able to consider the questions that our hearts have, to be able to, to comprehend the fact that I don't actually have all the answers? What a, what a sad and scary way to live. Our faith isn't strong if it can't be questioned. And even if maybe you don't personally struggle with questions or doubts, which I have a hard time believing. Uh, even if you don't wrestle with questions of uncertainty or, or whether or not something you know, may have happened or uh, why it happened that way, even if you don't wrestle with that, it is so important you create space for other people to wrestle with that. Not everybody else will be as certain about everything as you are. And I hate to break it to you, this hopefully won't be totally surprising, but not everybody else will come to the same conclusions or answers or solutions that you have come to. And so even if we aren't wrestling with a certain question or topic or, or an issue or an aspect of our faith, we have to create space so that other people can. That's the nature of what it means to be in community and be in a family together is we create space for other people. South Hills has always been committed to being a place where people can ask questions, where they can wrestle with doubts, and where they can be honest about where they are at in their spiritual journey. That's why I came to South Hills when I was 21 years old for the very first time, because it was a place where I felt like I could show up and be as honest as I wanted to about my questions and my doubts and the things that I had done and what I was wrestling with. That's who South Hills has always been. Our mission is to reach unchurched people. That would include people that have never been to church, people that have gone a couple times, people that have gone for years and then walked away from it, people that are disconnected from the church family, disconnected from God. We want to reach unchurched people and lead them into a relationship with Jesus. And if you, as a follower of Jesus, don't get to a place where you are comfortable with questions, and with wrestling, you will never be comfortable allowing other people to ask questions and to wrestle. If you can't mentally get to a place where you understand what it means to ask questions, to doubt, to wrestle with things, and, and that that's okay, if you don't allow yourself to feel that, you will never be able to allow someone else to feel that. Because in your mind, it is just not allowed. It's inconceivable how somebody could actually do that because you've never allowed yourself to do it. And so we tend to prop ourselves up in this very unfortunate way. So as a church, as a follower of Jesus, as a human, it is so crucial not only that we ask questions and that we wrestle with our own doubts, it's important for us, but it is so important because it has to do with who we want to be as a church the perfect place for imperfect people, a place where anyone can show up exactly as they are with whatever questions they have, where they can know that they belong. 
when we don't leave room for others to ask questions and wrestle with their doubts, they will ultimately walk away from church. They will walk away from Christianity and, and many times walk away from Jesus. And Jesus was incredibly fired up about this. There was a few times where Jesus was very upset and very angry. There's a passage in Matthew 23, and this, this speech, this message, this, um, I don't know, I, I didn't hear it. I wasn't actually there, but I would assume that Jesus was maybe even shouting this at some of the religious people of the day. The, the people that translated the scripture, they, they titled this passage, The Seven Woes, uh, as in woe to you, as in check yourself before you wreck yourself. I don't know why I said that. It's like 10 years old. This, this idea of, man, you have to look at what you're doing and how you're living if you want to get some things right. So in Matthew 23, 13, I won't read the whole passage, but he starts off the seven woes by saying this. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, which is essentially the religious leaders and the religious people, the church people and the pastors of the day. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Jesus is absolutely In my opinion, he is absolutely frustrated, livid, angry with the religious people because in his mind, they are shutting the door of heaven to people that are trying to understand who God is, that are trying to engage in a relationship with God, that are trying to wrestle with the questions that they might have at this point. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And for us today, the same question, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? Jesus is telling them, woe to you because you think that you are a Christian and religious and doing the right thing, but in your inability to ask questions and to let other people wrestle and to let other people engage, in your inability to do that, you are slamming the door of heaven in people's faces that are trying to engage, that are trying to look for hope and purpose and meaning and love and grace and forgiveness in Jesus. And because they don't have the same answers or conclusions or the same details or clothes or opinions or vote the same way or whatever it might be, we are slamming the door of heaven in their face. We are keeping others from understanding the love that God has for them because we refuse to let people wrestle with the doubts and questions and maybe come to different answers than we've come to ourselves. It's a strong word from Jesus, and I think it's never more appropriate than it is for us in 2020. Everything is polarized. There is zero nuance or gray space. It is either all right or all left, all red, or all blue, all wrong, or all right. There is no room for people to wrestle with questions and try and navigate in between those things. We insist that people pick a side and pick a team, and we are equally cruel to the people that are on the other team. And when it comes to our faith in Christianity, we have started to think the same way and and we insist that people believe and act and show up the same exact way that we have and never question, never doubt, never do things differently than I do, otherwise you are wrong. And that is just not the reality of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. We shut the door on uh, others 
when we make the wrong thing the main thing. We shut the door on other people when we make the wrong things the main thing. And I think especially online these days, and especially because we're pretty much only online, you, you can't go out and talk with other people very much right now. But it's so easy for people just to argue in circles back and forth. And they're not trying to be loving or kind. They're just trying to win and make their point. And there's no room for questions or doubts or wrestling. It's just, I want to win. I want to keep arguing and, and make my point that I am right and you are wrong. And it's not just tied to our faith. It goes into a lot of different things. I think that we, we wrestle with this. It's not just about any one topic. It's true of faith and Christianity and religion. It's it's also true of politics. It's true of how we should handle or respond to a global pandemic. Uh, all of these things, we just argue and we just sh- keep shooting back and forth arguments and attacks at the other side. It's so difficult to find space to wrestle with, but our faith in Jesus, the history of our faith, what does it mean to, to learn to follow Jesus? It is based in hundreds and hundreds of years of people wrestling with their faith, not understanding all the time, asking God and demanding God oftentimes to help them understand, answer, make things clear. It's a journey, it is a process, and it's so crucial for us. And so I think that one of the things that we can do and and one of the reasons why uh, oftentimes people walk away from Christianity or they walk away from church or they walk away from Jesus. Maybe they walk away from our family. Maybe they walk away from their political party. Maybe they walk away from whatever it might be. One of the reasons why things are so divisive is because we make the wrong thing the main thing. We focus on some of the details and we make it so pri- uh, such a priority That people, if they can't necessarily get on board with every single detail, then they have to walk away from it completely. And that is not the healthy or or even the best way to talk about this. And so I actually have like a little diagram. And I've talked about this a few years ago. You you may remember if you've been a part of South Hills for a long time. Uh, But there are these, uh, instead of arguing in circles, I'd like to look at this and the idea of these rings, these concentric circles. I think we have... um, a graphic that shows that. It's kind of like a target. There you go. Um, how many of you guys miss target right now? I get it. Uh, so we have these, these rings, um, and it's so important for us to start to process through things differently because not everything is equal. And so as we talk about our faith and as we want to make sure that we're not making the wrong things the main thing, it always starts with the very center. It starts with Jesus, This is the most important aspect of our faith as Christians. Now, I don't know that people would disagree with that, but I think what starts to happen is that we start to make everything in the Bible or everything in our faith just as important as believing in Jesus. And the basis of our faith, even in Romans, Paul Paul writes it, and it's all throughout the scriptures, and even Jesus talked about this, if we believe in Jesus, In Jesus, if we put our trust in Jesus, that is what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. That is the core 
basis, foundation of what it means to be a Christian. And so this is at the core of our faith. Jesus is there at the very center, the most important thing. This is what we hold on to. The ring out from there is a word called dogma, which uh, dogma isn't necessarily a, a word that we use very much, and it's not really even used very often in a positive sense, but it's the best word that I could figure out for this category. Dogma is really the essential core beliefs of Christianity. Within the first hundred years or so, there were a couple things called creeds. Uh, Jamie actually sang one of them earlier, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, it's, I think it's about 13 statements of what does it mean to be a Christian. And they're, they're specific, but there's also a ton of room. And so when you move out from Jesus, the main thing of our faith, then you have kind of the, the traditional beliefs of Christianity. And it may not be the things that you've always told were the traditional beliefs of Christianity. It's these core beliefs, the dogma, the, the, the essential beliefs of what does it mean to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. And then out from there, another ring is doctrine. Now, it's another word that we don't use a whole lot. Doctrine uh, is teachings the different churches and different denominations and different people, they have different teachings or ways of understanding the dogma or the core beliefs of what it means to be a Christian. So each of these things is a, a farther ring out. And then the fourth ring is opinion. Opinions. Now, the reality is, is that many of us think that our opinions are just as important as whether or not people have their faith in Jesus. We would argue just as angrily and violently about our opinions as we would about the importance of putting your trust in Jesus. And this, this illustration is set up in a sense for us to know what is the most important and what is the least important when it comes to people having a relationship with Jesus. When it comes to people being a Christian or understanding what does it mean to follow the way that God has intended for us to live, the most important thing is Jesus, that we put our trust in Jesus and that we try and live our lives the way that he invited us to live our lives. And then out from there, we have kind of the, the traditional core beliefs that were written down uh, by this group of apostles uh, about 100 years after Jesus was um, crucified. And then we have the doctrines, which are teachings about that. And, and, and so these are kind of different phrases and different ideas. It can be difficult. And so I tried to come up with a good example of how to explain the importance of this. Now, uh, the, the center of this target, this illustration, uh, would be, just play along with me here. I would say that food is necessary for human existence. Hopefully nobody agrees with me on that. Food is necessary for human existence. Uh, the next ring out from there, that, that statement being true, the next ring out from there, I would say something along the lines of, in and out is the best example of food. Now, uh, that is crucial to being a part of South. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, in and out is the best example of food. When you go one ring out farther from there, I would say you can get a single, a double. You can have cheese on your burger. You can have no cheese. You can get an animal style, whatever it is. So I'm saying, man, food is crucial for us to be able to live as a human. In and out 
is the best food, then the teachings about the food, you, you can order it however you want. You guys know you can even get cheese and animal style fries. You can do all kinds of things. You can get a grilled cheese. Sand- I mean, there's all the options. This is the doctrine and the teachings of, of the way that it shows up. And the opinion ring would be if I were to say that In-N-Out is so much better than Five Guys will ever be, which personally I feel like is fact. But I understand that some people disagree with that statement. But here is the reality. Every argument that I have about In-N-Out has to do with my opinions about In-N-Out. It has to do with whether or not it's better than Five Guys, whether or not it's better than some of these other burger places. Nobody argues whether or not we need food to exist as humans. Nobody argues whether or not you can get a double cheeseburger or a single cheeseburger. We spend all of our time arguing about things that are opinions. And we, this is a silly example, but when it comes to our faith, we, we push people away and, and we elbow people out because they don't agree with our opinions and that is broken and twisted. And Jesus would say, woe to you because you are shutting the door of heaven on people who are trying to enter in, trying to engage in a relationship with God. And because of your opinions, because of the loopholes, the the things that don't matter, that you're making the main thing, you are keeping people away from a relationship with Jesus. And so it is so crucial for us as Christians to take our stand with Jesus. This is the thing that we hold on to. This is what we invite people to believe in, Jesus. This is what we invite people to engage with, Jesus. This is what we paint as the most beautiful picture because Jesus was beautiful and how he taught love and forgiveness and grace and acceptance and belonging and the way that he lived and interacted. It is beautiful and this is the place where we should make our stand. This is what we invite people into is Jesus. Everything else is less important than Jesus. And it's so important for us to know that. So Christians, we have to take our stand with Jesus and people that are wrestling, whether you are a Christian or whether you are an atheist or whether you are just unsure of where you're at and you are asking questions and wrestling, it is important to invite safe people into that process. People that will allow you to ask questions that will allow you to wonder if In-N-Out really is better than Five Guys. People that that you can engage with and they're comfortable with you asking questions because they are not gonna try and convince you to believe every single thing that they believe. Because as a church, we wanna reach people that are disconnected from God. And the reality is, just like we have questions and fears and doubts, other people do too. Take our stand with Jesus and invite people into the process that are safe. There's a couple resources, just quickly, I'm going a little bit long, but just quickly, there's two resources that I want to share with you guys, two books. The first one, do I have that slide back there somewhere? I may not. Uh, Okay, I don't have the slide, so you just have to write this down if you want. The first book is called A Flexible Faith. And it's by a woman named Bonnie Christian, and Christian is spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. A Flexible Faith by Bonnie Christian. It's, it's actually a really fascinating book, and it talks about um, the different ways of approaching Christianity and still being able to stick true to who Jesus is and, and the essential dogma or the core of what does it mean to be a Christian. Uh, it, it's a great resource. Uh, and the second one is a book called Irresistible. 
and it's by a pastor named Andy Stanley, and he talks a lot about how Jesus is the most important part and the core of our faith. And again, it feels like an obvious thing, but we get so hung up on these other details. So Irresistible by Andy Stanley is a great book. And, and so my hope for you, my hope for me, is that we're able to wrestle with these questions for ourselves. Maybe you don't have questions or doubts right now, but, but you will at some point in the future. You know people that are wrestling with questions and doubts that are wondering, is it okay for me to say the word keister or not? They're embarrassed because maybe they don't know if something is allowed or not allowed or okay or not okay or if they're handling it the wrong way. It's so important for us to allow ourselves and for us to allow other people to wrestle with doubts. Yes, the answer is yes, you can be a Christian and still have doubts. You can follow Jesus and still have fears and wonder and wrestle with who God is and the way that he shows up in your life. Let's bow our heads and pray together.